right? Remember that one? So guess what I did this weekend? No, the washing machine accepted my thumb drive. And I wonder, will it work? Is it over for that? You think, he says over, yeah. Any ideas? Who's a techie? Should I try it? You're a techie? Should I use it? I, I've washed my USB key. Is it done? It's over. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Maybe I'll, I'll immobilize it in epoxy and frame it. it says, put it in the dryer. <laughs> Dry cycle. <laughs> Thanks, Val. Thanks. What's that? No. No. The question was, does it have exam questions on it? No, of course not. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Nice to see you. Hi. Uh, I think we're supposed to be on 48, not 52. I think you're giving 52 tomorrow. Okay, well, this is 48. Oh, it is? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Sure. Okay. Right, so just in case uh, I realized that not only did I wash my USB key, but I mislabeled this number. This is the folic acid discussion. So we're going to talk about one carbon metabolism. And this is, in a sense, a natural flow out of our discussion. Oh, by the way, good morning, everybody. Nice to see you all on this happy Monday. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, so this is a natural um, continuation of what we were talking about with amino acids and the nitrogen economy. Because it turns out that the major contributors for moving around one carbon molecules in biosynthetic reactions are coming from amino acids. Now, to get some of this information, we have to recall and remember some of the stuff we discussed uh, at the beginning of last term in the FTM module where we talked about purine and pyrimidine biosynthetic pathways. And that's easy. You don't have to go into too much uh, uh, craziness into those pathways. It's just remembering that in the bi So we should all remember one of the takeaways from that discussion about the synthesis of purines and pyrimidines was that they require the input of one carbon units from folic acid. Right? We need folic acid for the synthesis of purines, and we need folic acid for the synthesis of pyrimidines. If you have a deficiency in folic acid in, you know, involved, uh, for the cell, you're going to have a, 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 redu a reduced rate of the ability to manufacture nucleic acid, right? the bases for our nucleic acids. If you can't make bases in the form of uh, deoxynucleotide uh, uh, triphosphates, you're not going to be able to make DNA. And if you can't make 
nucleotide triphosphates, you won't be able to make RNA. And of course, we all know central dogma of the cell, say it, right? DNA makes RNA makes protein. You can't do that quickly, right? And then you're going to have, have problems. And we'll give you an example, uh, example of that. Oh, look at this. This is pretty cool. Here we have 52, and here we have 39. Somewhere in the middle of that is 48, and that's the lecture <laughs> that we're doing today. Right. <laughs> okay, yeah. Right, so we have some objectives. And, all right, so, so a few definitions here. So S-adenosylmethionine, I touched on this. I, I kind of introduced this guy, uh, this guy, this molecule, a couple of days ago, or last week. And in a sense, we think about this as the methyl donor for biosynthetic reactions, the methyl donor. We also have a tetrahydrofolate, THF. That's tetrahydrofolate. This is a, a molecule that's derived from folate, sometimes called folic acid. Same thing, right? Folate would be the uh, ionized version. Folic acid is the acid version. Same thing. So, so we have uh, THF. This is a donor of formal groups, methenyl groups, and methylene groups to biosynthetic reactions. We also have in this color here, methyl group, right? But actually, you'd, you should circle this right here if you're annotating your slides, because for the methyl group, we're going to see in a few minutes, there is one and really only one reaction where the methyl group can be given to something else. And that's a very, very important reaction in medical biochemistry, very important for pathology. And you will see this in path labs as well. Right? So, so that's, the, that's uh, something we're going to want to be coming back to to, to look at. Okay, so the one-carbon groups are, are derived from uh, amino catabolism of amino acids, primarily glycine and serine. Those are the two, in a sense, you could think of those are the two most important donors of one-carbon groups into, into this system. And why should that be? Well, go back to last week when we talked about essential dietary essential versus dietary non-essential amino acids, and we should recognize that serine and glycine are dietary non-essential. Right? Tryptophan, of course, is an essential amino acid, as is histidine. Okay, so we're also, when we talk about this acidinosomethionine, uh, also the importance of cobalamin, right, cobalamin or methylcobalamin in the term of the active uh, version of that, uh, of that enzyme, and of course how, how uh, methylcobalamin, of course, is, uh, is able to shuttle around or move around in two very, very specific reactions, only two very specific reactions to move around a methyl group, okay? So, of course, the effects of folate and B12 deficiency, very important part here. Okay. So our S-adenosylmethionine, recognizing that methionine, remembering methionine is an amino acid. What kind of amino acid? Sulfur-containing, right? It's a sulfur-containing amino acid. And if you recall, now you don't really have to know the structure of methionine to see this, but maybe you can compare and contrast in your mind. Can anybody in the room look at, you close your eyes and in your mind's eye inside the brain, see, see the difference between cysteine and methionine? You can see it. Somebody said yes. I heard it. Yes. Right? So the difference is, of course, cysteine ends on a sulfhydryl, and methionine has a carbon chain, a sulfur, and then CH3. So it's that CH3 that's on methionine that becomes the methyl donor in S-adenosyl methionine. And of course, it's important for a lot of things, epinephrine, creatine formation, phospholipids, phosphatidylcholine. What's the one I missed here, I didn't write here, that's so important? Synthesis of nucleic acid bases, right? That's super important, and that's going to be a major part of the pathology that we talk about. So that really should be on this list, right? Okay, so key point here is, is that after donating this uh, methyl group, 
that S-adenosylmethionine, SAM, will then go through a few steps and be converted to homocysteine. And we discussed last week that homocysteine is a nasty player, right? And then there's two fates of homocysteine. Again, we talked about this last week. Homocysteine can be converted back to methionine, in a sense recycled, or it can be degraded, in a sense, on the pathway towards cysteine, and then be degraded, further catabolized to carbon dioxide, sulfuric acid, and nitrogen, uh, so on, as it, if we want to eliminate it. The key point here is, is that both of these pathways, both of these pathways actually require B12. And we'll see in a few minutes that the, both also require uh, pyridoxal phosphate and to recycle to sit to back to, to methionine, we're also going to require, require methyl folic acid. So that's the big picture. This is not in your slides, right? It's not in your handout because I don't want to show structure in your handout, but I'm thinking about this and the importance of recognizing one thing just so it all makes sense to you because this is, the last time I checked, this was not an organic chemistry class, right? But, right, let's go back to somewhere else if you want organic chemistry. But recognize that S-adenosylmethionine, SAM, this is the molecule of SAM, is an amino acid. It's an amino acid. Here's the alpha amino group, and here's the, arch, the side chain. The key point here is, is that instead of sulfur being bonded to only two things, now sulfur is bonded to three things. Sulfur doesn't want to be bonded to three things. Its electron configuration isn't really set up for that. Right? They're supposed to have a lone pair of electrons here and a lone pair here. Instead, it's bound to something. Therefore, sulfur is taking a positive charge. If you remember a few things from general chemistry now, you know sulfur doesn't want to have a positive charge. Not cool, man. Right? So this methyl group really wants to come off. And that's why S-adenosylmethionine is such a strong methyl donor. And the enzymes, of course, that are catalyzing the reactions where that methyl group goes on capitalize on this and hold S-adenosylmethionine in the right orientation to make that reaction happen where it's supposed to, okay? So structure's not on the test, but this is why it's a methyl group, right? Usually that's a point of a lot of uh, questions that I get. Why is Sam such a good methyl group donor? That's why, right? Yeah, okay. So we did this also on, on uh, uh, last week just making sure that we've got this all straight, if we have this S-adenosylmethionine, SAM, it can donate methyl groups off to places, and we're left behind with, after a couple of steps, homocysteine. What are the possible fates of homocysteine? Well, it can be recycled back to methionine, and if it does this, it requires the enzyme methionine synthase. Methionine synthase has two essential cofactors. One is the methyl tetrahydrofolate, or another way of saying this is tetrahydrofolate holding the methyl group, and of course it also needs the cobalamin. So basically what's happening is, is that the methyl tetrahydrofolate gives the methyl group to cobalamin, and cobalamin puts the methyl group back onto homocysteine, and that recreates methionine. And then of course this is just like a cycle, right? This is a circle happening. Homocysteine can also be transsulfurated. And if it's transsulfurated, basically what's happening is, is the sulfur group comes off of homocysteine, it gets put onto another amino acid, we don't even have to name it, another amino acid, and you form cystathione. That's a transsulfuration reaction, and that transsulfuration reaction, of course, requires pyridoxal phosphate. And then you have cysteine, and cysteine can be further catabolized or used for other purposes. Right? So a key point here is, is that if you have a deficiency of folic acid, B12, or pyridoxal phosphate, what you're going to end up with is increased levels of homocysteine. 
And that's a key point for this particular discussion this morning. Okay, so the, the significance of homocysteine, of course, the, 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 the getting rid of homocysteine, this nasty player, it's going to require a folate. Folate and the, the, the methyl holder, holding of methyl, uh, vitamin B6, which is pyridoxal phosphate, and methylcobol and, and cobalamin. So deficiencies of any of those, of those vitamin cofactors is going to lead to elevated levels of homocysteine, and of course, that is also going to be associated with certain kinds of pathologies because elevated plasma homocysteine is associated with connective tissue damage, right? endothelial dysfunction, thrombolytic cardiovascular complications, arterial sclerosis, this kind of thing. And if you, again, we, we spoke about this last week where you have this uh, inborn errors of metabolism, inborn deficiencies of, of cystothiamine beta synthase is going to lead to massively high levels of homocysteinuria of circulating homocysteine, and of course that's going to lead to premature vascular disease, uh, separation of the lens of the eye, these kind of uh, uh, problems. Okay. So this is just uh, some questions. Thinking about this, so here's some reactions involving the addition of one carbon. Which of these requires SAM for its synthesis? Of course, glutamine doesn't require a methyl group at all. It's in nitrogen. But the idea here is, is that recognizing that some reactions that require methylation, if you're getting a methyl group transfer, it needs SAM to do it. And we talked about this last week. It's epinephrine. It's the answer here. SAM methylates this molecule because we're transferring a methyl group catalyzed by phenylethanolamine and methyltransferase, PNMT enzyme. Okay. Another point that I mean, so I don't want to drill into this. It's not even on your slides just a kind of a, a, a way of thinking about this material is, is that carboxylation of pyruvate. Remember this reaction when we're talking about gluconeogenesis. This is one of the major replenishment reactions for the TCA cycle. This is a carboxylation reaction. We don't even think about this in terms of one carbon donation or one carbon transfer because this is transferring carbon dioxide. When we think about one carbon transfer, we're thinking about things in terms of the methyl group that's being used via cobalamin and the methylene, methenyl, and formal group that we are using for folic acid, right? So thinking about these different oxidation states of carbon, okay? So when we think about tetrahydrofolic acid, THF, folic acid, folate, these kind of things, we should think about what this molecule is, right? So it comes from dietary folic acid, which of, of course is, comes from the Latin word foliage, meaning green leafy stuff, right? That's why we're, moms and dads tell us to eat green leafy vegetables because it's healthy, right? So we absorb this uh, folate or folic acid. It's converted to a dihydrofolic acid and then to tetrahydrofolic acid, which is the, the, the usable form of it. And this is the reversible carrier for these various oxidation states of one carbon, right? Methyl, formal, methenyl, methylene, and methenyl groups. Just depends on how many hydrogens are. What's the, what's the oxidation state? And of course, the, this methyl THF, methyl THF, is of primary importance for really just one reaction. Maybe it does something else in the body, but for us, we don't care about that, right? And of course, that reaction is the formation of methionine from homocysteine. Okay. So folic acid comes in as, as folate. It gets reduced to dihydrofolate. It gets reduced again to tetrahydrofolate. And that's via the enzyme dihydrofolate reductase. You'll hear about this reaction again and again and again. You'll hear about it in microbiology when we talk about antibiotics because trimethoprim is an antibiotic that can be given to reduce bacterial action of that particular enzyme. You'll also hear about it in pathology when they talk about methotrexate as a molecule that reduces the ability to 
form this in animal cells, right? So, so we have one as a drug and one as an antibiotic, right? Depending upon if you're treating the bacterial version or the human version, right? So the key point here is, is that tetrahydrofolate can then, has like basically a loading site on it for various oxidation forms of one carbon, formal methylene methanol groups. And of course, they're required for purine and pyrimidine biosynthesis and other reactions that require donation of those one carbons. So what's the role of this, right? So we have the sources of the one carbon units, glycine, serine, primarily also histidine. And these one carbon uh, groups are then, are, are then collected into, into the, a pool of, of tetrahydrofolate collecting all these different uh, oxidized states of one carbon. And then this tetrahydrofolate holding that one carbon becomes the reversible carrier of those, of those carbon groups and required for formation of various molecules, such as the purines, thymidine, these kind of things. And of course, that's really important for DNA and RNA synthesis. The tetrahydrofolate then, of course, can cycle. As long as the one carbon group comes off as formal methyl, not methyl here. Gosh, you should cross that out, right? Because can we get, is methyl group, that's an error on this slide. Does anyone see why I contradicted myself? Raise your hand if you see why I'm saying this right now. You see it, right? The reason is, is that the methyl THF doesn't come off for the synthesis of purines and pyrimidines. If we have methyl THF, we say that it is now trapped onto the tetrahydrofolate. I'm going to take a sip of tea and let you think about that. Like I did this on purpose, right? I, maybe I should have a clicker question on here right now. Why is it trapped? I don't have a clicker question to ask you that question, right? But I should. Why is it trapped? Because there's no, right, so this methyl group, if we have a methyl THF, there is one and only one reaction that can get that methyl group off. What is that reaction? Methionine synthase, I heard it five times. I heard it. you said it. Right, boom, good. That's what I wanted to hear, right? Good. Okay. So what are the various forms of THF in this one carbon pool? Formal THF, the methylene THF, they're used as one carbon donors for the synthesis of our nucleic acids. The methyl THF, methyl tetrahydrofolate, is used only in the conversion of homocysteine to methionine. That's the only place that I know of where it's useful, right? Otherwise, it's trapped and it stays in that place. And of course, the key point here is, the key point, if you want to take the next step in understanding this, is remembering that this reaction also requires vitamin B12. Vitamin B12 is cobalamin. So no B12, the methyl groups accumulate on your THF. Okay. So in a sense, you could think of, you could think then, that the methyl THF could be considered as the storage form of tetrahydrofolate. It's the storage form, because once it's there, it can't do anything else. How do you get it off? Well, you need to have homocysteine to get it off so you can recreate methionine. Okay. So what are the different forms of this THF? You have formal groups, methylene groups. These can go back and forth. Right? The, the, the body, can, the cell can, can convert these. They're useful for synthesis of our nucleic acid bases. If you reduce this methylene THF to methyl THF, this is an irreversible reaction. Once this happens, the cell cannot oxidize it back. It must stay in this form, must stay in this form. The reaction that can convert methyl THF 
and, and empty and, and, and leave behind uh, empty THF ready to accept another one carbon from an amino acid is the methionine synthase, methionine synthase. And that's where homocysteine is converted into methylene. And the idea then is, is that this free THF is now free to re-enter the pool to accept a one carbon group from an amino acid, primarily glycine or serine. Okay? I'm not going to do this for you. We did this five times. Okay. Right. So, so if we have a change in this uh, folate, uh, what, what happens if a person has a deficiency of folic acid or folate? Okay. So of course, one thing that might happen right at the beginning, what's the first thing that's noticed is that you have a reduction in one carbon donors because you don't have the appropriate molecules to deliver the one carbons for the synthesis of bases, purines, and pyrimidines. And so what that means then is, is there's going to be a delay in DNA synthesis. There's going to be a delay in the ability for some cells to proliferate. And what are some cells that must proliferate very rapidly? What do you need a lot of? Right? You need a lot of red blood cells. In fact, you need... My son knows the number. I can't believe it. Like, he was talking about how many red blood cells we have. I was like, is that really have that many? I looked it up. Yeah, he was right. It's like billions or something, like every day or something crazy like that. You need a lot of red blood cells. And that means then, if you need a lot of red blood cells, that means there has to be a lot of rapid proliferation of hematopoiesis to, to manufacture all of those for this erythropoiesis. And so what that means then is, is that if, you are, if these cells are going down their developmental pathway and they don't have the appropriate... DNA being synthesized to allow them to continue that differentiation, the cell itself will become larger because the, there's a delay in manufacturing of that, of that DNA to allow them to continue through that, that pathway. And so you end up with uh, a, a, an anemia, right? And it's because you have decreased uh, hemoglobin concentration in those cells, and then also the cells become very large. So they call this a macrocytic or a megaloblastic anemia. And the white blood cells, the leukocytes, because their cell division can't keep up with the amount of amount of uh, uh, DNA that's being, or excuse me, the, the the amount of DNA that's being made can't keep up with their programmed rate of cell division then you end up with a polysegmented nucleus because it wants to divide, but you don't have the DNA to continue that mitosis. And so here's what those pictures look like. You have this megaloblastic anemia, right? And here you have the polysegmented uh, neutrophil. And this is what a person would look like if they have this kind of anemia due to a folic acid deficiency. The problem is that this folic acid deficiency and this kind of histological slides are going to look the same in the B12 deficiency as they would in the folic acid. Then the question becomes, why? Right? And so we'll get to that in a minute. Okay, okay so here we have this 22-year-old uh, woman in her first trimester of pregnancy, and she has a hemoglobin of uh, 10 grams per uh, deciliter. Her, uh, and I guess that's low, right? And so then she also has a large uh, MCV, being corpuscular volume of her red blood cells, so it's, 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 it's uh, very large, and she has deficiency of folic acid. Her B12 is normal, and of course, so this is enough for us to, to, to say, well, she has a folic acid deficiency, right, because we've, we, she, has, she has normal amounts of, of B12. 
Okay. So what is this uh, folic acid? It's named after foliage for green leafy plants. And of course, it's, uh, it's uh, very, very important, especially in, uh, be before conception and the first few, uh, the, in, in early parts of, of pregnancy because it reduces the risk of spina bifida in the fetus. And this, of course, is like, was the first example of a birth defect, a congenital birth defect that had a, a, a proven nutritional component to it as a, as a, as a risk factor um, uh, a reducer. Okay. So, so how can we diagnose this, this folate deficiency? Well, one thing, one way to do it is through this thing called a figlu assay. And this is explained really nicely in the Lippincott's textbook. And the idea is that this word figlu means form aminoglutamate. And this is uh, a molecule that's in the, the catabolic pathway for histidine. So you, go, you take histidine and you want to degrade it into other molecules, eventually getting it to carbon dioxide and ammonia to get it out of the, out of the out of the body, and of course making ATP along the way. Well, one of the, the intermediates in that pathway is FIGLU. And so FIGLU will donate one of its carbons, one carbon off of FIGLU will get donated onto folate, if folate is there to accept it, to form glutamate. And of course, you know what happens to glutamate and how we can get, get rid of that molecule. So if a person has a deficiency of folate, that means the histidine will be metabolized to FIGLU, but the FIGLU, form aminoglutamate, has nowhere to go because there's nothing to accept that methyl group, and therefore FIGLU will be detected in the urine. So that's called the FIGLU assay, or the FIGLU um, assay. Right? So checking for deficiency of folate. Okay, FIGLU excreted in the urine. I don't think I have a timer, so we'll just have to wait a minute. Right, so I'm going to stop this in 10 seconds, counting down 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, bingo. Oh, timer. <laughs> right. Okay. So what's the right answer here? I don't have a smiley face. Conversion to homocysteine to cystathione, what's the cofactor? PLP, B6. Conversion of succinyl-CoA to methylmalonyl-CoA, what's the cofactor? B12, cobolamin. Conversion of phenylalanine to tyrosine, what's the cofactor? BH4, right? Tetrahydrobiopterin synthesis of creatine, some amino acids, and then it's methylated by SAM, I think. Right? So the correct answer is number three, the synthesis of thymidine monophosphate. Right? So look at that. We're all over the place. You've got to get these. Right? We need to be able to do these. These are the key reactions that we're talking about here. Right? 
Okay. This is a tough question now, of course, because we didn't talk about this since FTM module last semester, but recognizing at this point that we need tetrahydrofolate carrying those one carbon groups for the synthesis of our nucleotide bases, right? Thymidine and purines for RNA and DNA. Okay. <clears throat> right. So B12, B12. So here we have a, a, a young girl, and for some reason something happened. She's not getting a certain molecule. In fact, she's not getting B12. They're very, very low. And she also has this macrocytic megaloblastic anemia. She has very, very low B12 levels. And she has brain problems. Right? We're seeing problems in her brain. She's getting some atrophy in some areas of her brain. And so <clears throat> it turns out that a little while ago she had tuberculosis. Something happened. And she had, uh, uh, there was a, a problem with her, with a problem in her, in her gut where she had, was lost some of her ileum, and that, of course, is associated with her B12 deficiency, and I'll tell you why that is in a minute. Okay, so if she's treated for that, now she needs a shot for it, just like my mother does, and like most geriatric patients, when they get to be about 75 to 80 years old, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, that patient is no longer acting like normal and smart and not doing the crossword puzzle like she used to, and maybe something's, you know, she's unkempt, or I'm saying she, because that's my mom. Like, why does this happen? Right? And of course, B12, because that's something that happens as you get older, and that's something called pernicious anemia. We'll talk about that in a minute, because in pernicious anemia, there's a particular protein that is secreted by the parietal cells in the stomach, and the job of that protein, called intrinsic factor, is to bind to B12, get it out of the stomach and into the intestine where it can then be absorbed, and that's how our body gets B12. The interesting thing about this is, is that B12 is stored in the liver for four to six weeks where then it can support the needs of the body. So you don't need it every day, you just need some of it at least once a month or so. Okay, so that's the point there. Intrinsic factor, I can promise you a thousand times from Sunday that you will hear about intrinsic factor again in pathology. Right, so we're not wasting your time in year number one talking about intrinsic factor. Right, so here's the picture of that. Here we have uh, the, the cells in the, in, the, in the ileum, and we have the intrinsic factor released there, and then it comes out of the stomach into the small intestine where it's then, it's then absorbed with, with, the, uh, with the B12. Okay. So what are some rich sources of this uh, B12? Animal sources, these kind of things. So deficiency is sometimes seen, not always, not where, sometimes seen and vegans, right? And so there are two main reactions that require B12. I think you should be able to say these with your eyes closed, right? So I'm not gonna read them for you right now, okay? These two reactions, homocysteine to methionine, and that's where you need both the methyl THF and the methylcobalamin, B12, methionine synthase, and the methylmalonyl-CoA mutase. Now, if you cared to, if you cared to, you could see these reactions as being really the enzyme doing the same thing. And that same thing is, is that a methyl group comes off and gets put on somewhere else. In the case of the methionine synthase, the methyl group comes off of methyl THF, it gets put on B12, and then it gets tacked onto homocysteine to detoxify that molecule. In the case of methylmalonyl-CoA mutase, the methyl group comes off of methylmalonyl-CoA, which is a dead-end molecule, gets put on to B12, and on the same enzyme, it gets put on to the same molecule it started from, but now in a different place, making a new molecule. And that, of course, 6-cinyl-CoA, you recognize as one of the players in the TCA cycle. 
So if you have a person that has B12 deficiency, the patient that has B12 deficiency, they have increased levels of methylmalonate, of course, right? Because you're going to have a block at that step. You're also going to have increased levels of homocysteine. Now you have two problems because the increased methylmalonate is thought to interfere with myelin synthesis. You have increased levels of homocysteine, which is going to <coughs> cause problems that we spoke about before with the connective tissue, but now you also have a third problem. I said two problems before, but that's actually more than two problems. It's another problem because what now do you not get? What are you missing out on? You're missing out on, I heard it over here, you're missing out on free THF. If you don't have free tetrahydrofolate, free folic acid, now you have nothing to accept carbons from amino acids, and you have decreased synthesis of purines and pyrimidines, and then that's what's causing the megaloblastic anemia. So there's a name for this, it's called the folate trap. Notice I put the word hypothesis on there, because nobody's really proved it maybe, but we all kind of accept it. In fact, now I feel that we could call this the folate trap theory. We could elevate it, I think it's okay. I could do that, but they call it this in the textbook, so I gotta keep it like that, that way too, right? Maybe we could call it the folate trap fact, <laughs> it's all right, okay. Right. Okay, so what's the mechanism here, right? So normally, right, we have methylene THF, methyl THF, we should make this a double arrow, right? Oh, no, no, whoa, 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 whoa. Methylene THF is irreversibly converted to methyl THF, right? That's a reduction reaction, it's the end of the road. So now we have methyl THF. The methyl THF is supposed to team up with cobalamin to detoxify homocysteine to methionine. So if you have a deficiency of B12, that means you're gonna have a trapping of methyl THF, and there's gonna be no or a limited amount of, of, of empty or free folic acid, and therefore you're gonna have a deficiency in the usable form of folic acid, and you'll have a deficiency or decreased production of nucleic acid and that's describing the macrocytic anemia. And the interesting thing about this is, is that this is happening even though a lab test would show there is high elevated or normal amounts of folic acid. So B12 deficiency leads to a lab test which shows normal or high folic acid. Okay, so it's a trap. It traps both the, the physician and the, the methyl. Right? Okay. Yeah, duh. <laughs> That was a pun, <laughs> right? Okay. <clears throat> okay, so this B12 is stored in the liver, about a month's worth supply, and so it takes some time to develop this deficiency, and there's various kinds of risk factors for this. One is the strict vegan. The other one is what we call the pernicious anemia, and that's where you have this autoimmune destruction of parietal cells or some kind of, some kind of a, a pathology of our parietal cells. A, a big risk factor for this, right, here, big risk factor, of course, is age. And another risk factor is the person who has surgery in an advanced age. And this is something that we don't know why that happens, it just happens to be. So my mother, let's go back to mom, mom had uh, uh, hip surgery when she was 75 or so, and after that surgery, she developed pernicious anemia. Nobody knows why. It was a consequence of the surgery, idiopathic, okay? And if you're seeing patients who are over than 75, I can, I can, I'll bet you a dozen donuts that you're gonna see a patient like that, okay. 
Bless you. Right, so I'm going to stop this in 10 seconds. Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Okay, so, oh my goodness, we're all over the place. But we're not all over the place because I'm sure if anybody's watching what we're doing, I think I see two correct answers here. I'm supposed to see two smiley faces, so you're to say, da-da, yeah, of course, I'm struggling with this. Would we put two correct answers on the exam? I hope not, right? <laughs> right? So, of course, what are we going to have here? We have a B12 deficiency, right? Because of her anemia, maybe she's doing something, some dietary thing that you don't know about. Unlikely that she has furnished anemia, but it could be. And so uh, uh, she's going to decrease... Wait, wait, she's going to have increased levels of methylmalonate. She's going to have increased homocysteine levels. And if this is due to, look at number four, if this is due to deficiency of B12, it's likely that she's going to have on the assay for folic acid itself, it's likely that she is going to have elevated levels of of folate, serum folate, because it's going to be trapped in the, in the CH3 thing. Oh, gosh, look at this. I think number one is also correct, isn't it? Right? She's going to increase. Well, no, no. She wouldn't have increased figlunurin unless they fed her a bolus of histidine. Right? So if you wanted to make number one correct, you'd say she was also given the, uh, an injection of histidine, and then you would see elevated figlu in the urine. Okay? So that's what makes that correct. Okay? So we're not going to entertain number two, because that's really far away. Okay. So I'd like it if you compared and contrasted the symptoms of folate deficiency to B12 deficiency and discussed this phthalate-trap-folate trap hypothesis on your own time. And the key point here is with this folate deficiency and B12 deficiency is most of the time, or oftentimes, the B12 deficiency is also associated with neurological manifestations. Okay, there's a lot of neurological manifestations for two reasons, the elevated homocysteine and the elevated methylmalonate is going to lead to problems with myelin synthesis, okay? So we think about this uh, one carbon pool. We have tetrahydrofolate and the methylene and the formal uh, uh, groups. They can be formed from tetrahydrofolate as we donate um, uh, one carbons from amino acids, primarily glycine and serine. I put histidine here just so you remember that it does that because that's one of the lab assays for measuring uh, availability of THF, right? And that's the, the FIGLU assay. So this one carbons in the form of uh, THF with methylene and formal, they're used for synthesis of purines and pyrimidines, or nucleotides, at specific places. I'd cross this out, this C2C8. Don't memorize that, man. That's crazy, right? You want to make sure that you need that for synthesis of your nucleotides, your nucleotide bases. So if we end up with the reduced form of this methyl group, remember methyl group is CH3, dash CH3, if you get that, it's, a tr it's, it's, it's not usable except for one reaction, and that's where we have, have, um, uh, have methionine synthase using B12 and this tetrahydrofolate in the methyl group. And of course, what that does is that liberates or frees THF to reaccept another one carbon group. 
And so, of course, if you have a, have a deficiency in those one carbon groups, the methylene and the formal groups, then you have macrocytic anemia because of decreased cell division. And drugs like methotrexate, the sulfa drugs, trimethoprim, these kind of things will affect, affect the ability for this to happen. Of course, this is one of the reasons why if a person takes uh, 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 methotrexate, it can lead to, to this macrocytic anemia. Right? The sulfa drugs and the trimethoprim, those are antibiotic drugs that interfere with the bacterial system, so the antibiotics. And the folate and B12 deficiency is associated with the buildup of, of homocysteine and the decreased production of SAM and the increased production of methylmalonate, of course, leading to the neurological manifestations. So if you think about, you're comparing and contrasting now the THF deficiency compared to the B12 deficiency. They both lead to macrocytic anemia, megaloblastic anemia, but the B12 deficiency also has a neurological manifestations. And so you could compare and contrast those. We answer it for you, so you should think about those. And we can do a couple more clickers before we stop. Is that all right? I have two, two more. These ones have smiley faces. Yay. Woo, sorry. First time I saw the structure of S-adenosylmethionine, it just blew my mind that nature could make a sulfur group holding a positive charge to make that methyl group come off. I mean, when you, was that the first time? Who was that for the first time saw that today? Curious. Did that just like, freak you out when you saw that? You're like, or am I just not really, we're not like on the same page. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, when I first saw that, I was like, wow. You know, it was like, right? I'm going to pause. I'm going to stop this in 10 seconds. Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. And gosh, we're all over the place. All right, so what is the correct answer? We have a minority of the students picking the right answer. It's serine, right? Because what are we doing here? This is not an easy thing here, right? I know this is not easy. Now I'm, I have proof that it's not easy because this clicker question is showing you that we didn't get it right. So what's the right answer? Which molecule is the major donor for the delivery of one carbon methylene units to THF? The answer is serine, right? What's going on here? Serine and glycine and some other amino acids are responsible during their degradation to deliver one carbon to THF. When you hear THF this way, you think in your mind, empty THF. It's empty. It wants a one carbon group. It's going to accept that one carbon group from an amino acid. Now it's ready to give that one carbon to something else, primarily purines and pyrimidines. Right? So what does glutathione do? Glutathione is an antioxidant. It can be conjugated to various drugs to let them be more soluble. It's good for messing around with sulfhydryl groups on proteins, that kind of thing. Right? So that's a detoxification molecule. What does S-adenosylmethionine do? That's what everyone chose here, or the majority of the class chose that. 
What does this guy do? What does he donate, or she, or this molecule? <laughs> it donates a methyl group, right? You have to think to yourself, what is the difference between the one carbon group that we see on THF and the one carbon group that's on SAM? It's the oxidation state. A methyl group, now say it in your mind, it's a dash CH3. Covalent bond, carbon H3. That's the most reduced form of one carbon. Right? The carbon groups that are found on the THF are a little bit more oxidized, formal, methyl, methenyl, these kind of groups. That means it's got a carbon double bond O, carbon two H's, or carbon with one H. Right? Those are what's going on here. Those can come off. Remember in organic chemistry, go back, go back a few years ago, and in organic chemistry, you're, you're, the, the, the professor said, synthesize a blah, blah, blah molecule. And you were like, okay, and I'll put the methyl group here. And he says, nah, can't do that. You can't move around methyl groups. And you're like, well, why? And he goes, because it's not easy to do, right? And this is why nature made a molecule like SAM, S-adenosomethionine, to enable the transfer of a methyl group, right? And to do that, you have to use all three phosphates from your ATP, right? All of those are burned, right? That's what enables that to happen. Okay, so our right answer, of course, is serine. Thiamine is found in the alpha keto acid dehydrogenase complexes, like pyruvate dehydrogenase, that kind of thing, and uric acid is, um, these things weren't part of the quicker question. Okay. Any questions about this? I want, I'm here now, we've got a few minutes. Okay, let's try another one. Do you know why this is a bad test question? If you look at the answer choices, are they all kind of from the same category? No, right? You have cofactors and you have enzymes. So to make this a good test question, one that we should be using, we should have five cofactors or we should have five enzymes. Think about that when you become a test writer, right? <laughs> But notice this is not on an exam, it's a clicker question, so I can do this, right, as long as I point that out to you. It's something that you should be thinking about. Because you want to make sure that you can think about these questions well, right? So really, but in the end, we're saying, what is the deficiency? So they could all be thought of as deficiencies. So what's the right answer here? What's the right answer? Does anyone got this solid? Who knows it? Boom, I got it. That's a tough question, right? So let's see. Serum homocysteine was elevated, it's high. Cysteine was undetectable, so that means that it's not going through that part of the pathway. B12 and folate are normal, right? B12 and folate are normal. So that means then that it can't be B or C. These two 
are not the answer here, right? They're not deficient, they're fine. We just said it, okay? So the most likely deficiency, I believe, is cystathione synthase, right? Because what is that enzyme supposed to do? That enzyme is supposed to take homocysteine, take the sulfur group off of it, and put it onto something else, and form cysteine, which is now undetectable. Cysteine is undetectable. So that's my, my answer. And we're mostly there. Cool. So I would like to wish everybody a happy break. And yay, it's done. Lecture, you said that methionine, threonine, uh, valine, and isoleucine are broken down by propionyl uh, carboxylase and methylmalonyl mutase. And then on another lecture, though, we, we had that branch chain amino acid, so I guess that would be assuming isoleucine and valine. Yeah. Um,